I feel like dissecting an earthworm would be difficult. Eh. They're pretty small. Oh, we there we get the really big ones, not the tiny ones. Like oh, we get the ones that are like I don't know a foot long. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing, and that's fine with me. Totally fine with me. I'm very happy for them. Okay. Sad that they get dissected, but you know, all right. Anyway, I am so sorry. Please tell me. <laughs> Just made a gagging sound <laughs> into the microphone. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Uh. Just surprise. It was the sound of surprise. Hey, everyone. Sorry for our very long hiatus. I was studying for the bar exam. Uh, after I graduated law school, and Grace afterwards was studying for her quals, and yeah. we have some very great and exciting news. We passed. We both passed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's exciting, and it means we can, I can have a social life again. I'm mm-hmm. sure you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this is part of my social life. Same. Talking to you about animals. I wouldn't have it any other way. So, thanks for your patience. Uh, We're back. We will be regularly releasing episodes again. And uh, tell your friends. Yes. We haven't disappeared. We're back. We're back. We're back. Okay. Welcome to Bonifax, the podcast with humorous facts about animals. Hopefully you didn't already know them. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. What uh, what are you going to talk about today? I wanted to talk about chinoderms. Interesting. These are the found that starfish, sand dollars, oh. sea urchins, sea cucumbers, and crinites are in. Or sea ferns. Oh gosh, what's the common name for these things? Sea feathers? Sea fans? I think that's it. Okay, well. <laughs> okay, I'm going off. So this is based on my lecture that I give in zoology, but maybe I should have looked at it a little more closely. Anyway, yeah, I wanted to talk about those things, and I was going to try to find some really cool facts, but then I realized that most people don't know any really basic facts about these animals. Very true. So they're all very closely related, which before I started studying them, I had no idea. Like, sea cucumbers and starfish more closely related than, like, sea cucumbers and sea slugs. Mm. But you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that makes them, connects all of them, is they are pentaradial symmetrical. Mm. Pentaradial symmetrical. So, like, you know, we're bilaterally symmetrical. Like, if you cut us in half, yeah, one side looks exactly like the other. So these animals are, if you divide them into five parts, those five parts are all identical, which is kind of weird. Sea cucumbers? Yeah, sea cucumbers are, yep, all of them. Some of there's some weird ones that are like six, but mm, we can just say all 
Okay, maybe I'm misremembering what a sea cucumber looks like. I don't think I am, though. Aren't they, like, long? Yeah, well, you, like... It's like if you look down the barrel of a cucumber and cut it into five. <laughs> five. Like... That's <laughs> so funny. Oh, my God. Looking down the barrel of a cucumber? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, how else did you say that? I don't know, like, I don't know. <laughs> if you're gonna make, okay, if you want to eat cucumber wedges instead of cucumber slices, you can make five identical wedges. Uh, right, right, that makes sense. Okay. I'm sorry, I just was okay. thinking from, like, a top-down view of, like, a sea cucumber, and I was like, that makes no sense, because I was thinking of, like, a top-down view of a starfish, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Technically, like, if you're just looking at where the mouth is and where the anus is, it's the same. It's just one is long, and then one is squished into a star shape. So it's interesting from, like, if you look at what they evolved from, they're, they're like, their larvae, little larvae of starfish and all the other guys are bilaterally symmetrical. Really? Yeah, then they become pentaradial later and so this is because whatever niche they're filling in the ocean is better if they're pentaradial and so they now they they've evolved into these animals that don't have brains because if you have a brain then it's i think it's hard to be pentaradial honestly hmm. you're traveling through space in a different way right if that makes sense so like jellyfish are radial and they don't have brains they have, like, a ring of nerves, and so do starfish. Hmm. I don't know if other people think that's interesting. I think it's interesting. I do. Yeah, so there's that. Another thing that I think is really cool about these guys is they travel around using a water vascular system. That's really just a, a system of canals and tubes that are filled with water. It's like hydraulics. Hmm. So they just move water into different parts of their body. Whoa. Yeah, so they have these little tube feet. If you've ever looked at the bottom of the starfish and seen those little suckers mm -hmm. or pads, yeah, those are the little tube feet that they walk on. So they push fluid into those to make them move and take fluid out to make them move. And so it's really, it's all just hydraulics. So they're really slow. <laughs> <laughs> but they're really strong, so they can crack open clams and things and eat them. Wow. You know that thing where they're like, oh, you can chop up a starfish in little tiny pieces and it'll grow back? Mm, I, I only have ever heard you could, like, cut off a leg and it'll grow back. Or arm or whatever the... That's true. You can actually cut them into tiny pieces as long as each piece has a part of the central disc. That makes me think of, like, don't worms have, like, multiple hearts or something so you can, like, cut them in different spots and they'll be okay? I think there's, yeah, there's parts of worms you could cut off their tail and they'll regrow it. And there's, like, flatworms. You can cut them in half and they'll make two flatworms. Hmm. You cut them in the right place. But I don't know about earthworms. Earthworms, I don't think you can cut. I don't think you can cut an earthworm in half and get two. Really? Hmm. Earthworms. I don't, yeah, I'll have to look that up. I don't think that's true. Because, I mean, earthworms have 
I guess they have multiple what we call hearts, but they're all in one place. They're not spread around the body. Are they? Yeah, they're all kind of near the head. Why do they have so many? There's just, they're kind of in parallel lines. There's a line, like, what? three on each side or something. I can't remember the number. What? I mean, they're not like our hearts. Well, obviously. I don't know. I don't know much about them, honestly. I just <laughs> have this. I've dissected an earthworm and they're like, oh, that's the aortic archer. I can't even remember the name. Wow. I like learn the parts right before I dissect it and then forget it for next year. <laughs> okay. Well, I. <laughs> yeah. So back to starfish and others. And oh, I just want to say so I looked this up. And I really like this. There's a blog run by someone who works at the Smithsonian who studies starfish. It's called the Echino Blog. He has a bunch of photos of other animals too, but he mainly talks about starfish. And so he talks about the argument between using the word sea star and starfish. Because, like, I guess people get mad because sea star sounds too politically correct. And they're like, it's starfish. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it happens. But actually, they've both terms have been used since the 1500s. Since the 1500s? Yeah. But if you use a scientific no- name, um, sea stars are called asteroids. What? Yeah, because they're in, um, let me get this right, order. Shoot. Did I get class or order? Oh. Order, class. Mm. They're in the group of animals called Asteroidea. <laughs> Good enough for me, honestly. Yeah, they're in the group of animals called Asteroidea, so they're all asteroids. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, but <laughs> so his post about that was very funny. Yeah, so they're just an interesting group of animals. They have things called pedicellaria, which are these little tiny pinchers all over their skin. So sea stars have this, and so do the sea urchins, and I think the sand dollars as well. So these these little tiny pinchers, and what they do is they keep the animal clean from debris and also other things that are trying to eat them. So in some sea urchins, I think they're toxic. In some, I think they've been modified to actually catch food in bring it to the mouth of the animal. Hmm. It's really weird if you stare at their skin under the microscope because there's these little tiny pinchers. Just like forever moving. Well, I mean, okay, I only work with dead animals because I'm in a zoology lab. Oh, right. Sorry, I didn't think that through. I'll try to not talk about dissection stories, (laughs) but I like dissecting. I know it sounds strange to someone who probably doesn't dissect anything, Mm -hmm. but they are, like, such beautiful animals on the inside Hmm. and on the outside. (laughs) uh, What else was I going to talk about? Oh, yeah, but it's always fun dissecting them with students because I'm just like, all right, let's dissect this sea urchin. And the students are like, oh, we have to do this? What? Because they're covered in the, like, they're really hard, right? You've held sand dollars, like, probably dried out ones. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have, like, sea urchin ornaments or something where they've taken all the spines off. Oh, yeah. uh, They put, like, the, they put air plants in them. Yeah. Kind of, I think it's kind of weird. I do, too. Doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah. So, yeah, you have to, like, dissect and you have to pull out all the spines. And students don't like doing that because it makes a big mess. And <laughs> there's, like, little pieces of shell flying everywhere. And they get grossed out. Um, <laughs> so Shocking. It's a, it's, a fun, it's a fun day at lab. Oh, my God. <laughs> but one of the things that makes... I'm getting off topic. One of the things that makes, you know, you hear about people stepping on sea urchins. Yes. And it being very bad because the spines break off. Yes. Yeah. One of the reasons that it's so bad is it's not that hard skeleton they have. It's not on the outside of the animal. It's on the inside. Mm-hmm. And it's covered with this thin layer of tissue. So... You're, like, jabbing another animal's tissue into your body. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I did not think that this... Well, no, it's, like, super bad. Your body does not like that at all. Oh. Right? You're gonna get an infection. Oh. I guess I just thought it was, like, poisonous or something. No. I mean, it can be. Some of them. Oh. But, no, it's just really bad. It's, like, way different than jabbing, like, a piece of metal or something into yourself. You're jabbing a, a tissue from another organism into you. Your body's freaking out. Like, what is... What? No, I don't like this. Huh. So it gets an infection. Yeah. Wait, so why Why do people say urinating on it does anything? That's... Okay, that's jellyfish stings. Oh, I thought it was sea urchins. Sea urchins? No. Oh, oh, I've never heard that. One, I think it's only dog pee on jellyfish. What? Burns. None of this makes sense. I've never heard someone peeing on a, <laughs> a sea urchin spine. Are you serious? This is a real thing. I am going to look this up right now. Oh, gross. Okay. Wow. Oh, that grosses you out? Yeah. <laughs> peeing on a wound? I think that's gross. Listen, me too. But literally, top hit a Google. Should you pee on a sea? What did you type in? <laughs> sea urchin pee. That was three out of four, and then I wrote sting. It says urban legend has it that human urine will treat both jellyfish stings and sea urchin spines, but it doesn't actually work. Oh, okay. Well, I've never heard that. It's isn't there? I thought it, I thought like dog urine did help jellyfish. Maybe I'm making. Maybe I've. This isn't true. I don't know. But wasn't that an episode of Friends with the Sea Urchin? Maybe I'm making that up. Some show. There was some show. Yeah, no. I haven't watched Friends, but I know that episode. Because my sister told me about it. If we're getting our science from Friends, maybe. Okay, I never... my, My question was, I think, and I will hear it back to myself later when I edit this. But I think my question was, so why is there this myth? Why is there this idea of, like, peeing on it? I wasn't necessarily saying I believed that that was the right call. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm here at University of Arkansas Medical Center, and it says, Ooh, do not apply vinegar, urine, or meat tenderizer. Oh my god, I just saw something that said that did say to soak it in vinegar. No, you're not. Oh, gosh. Okay, go to the doctor if you get stung by a jellyfish and do not put anything on it. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is not a medical podcast, and we will not be giving you medical advice or be blamed for anything (laughs) you put on any 
invertebrate from the sea hurting you. Or really any wound. Yeah, just like... We take no responsibility for your lives. This is the future lawyer talking now. (laughs) Yes. Don't... Yeah, just... Please. Watch animals from a distance and don't step on them or get stuck with... Let's see. Oh, I was going to talk about how starfish eat. So I'm going to try to bring it back, but I know it's not It's not going to get better because... So they have two stomachs and they avert one of them to swallow their prey and bring it in. Avert? Like, they put it outside their body. Huh. Through what orifice? Their mouth. Huh. So it's really just their mouth and then it goes... I guess they must have some kind of little esophagus thing and then it goes straight to stomach a couple stomachs and so they put one out and start digesting it outside the body and bring it back in and then the sea cucumber to defend itself usually they might have tentacles around their mouth so they gather their food by collecting off the mucus that's on their tentacles i think some of them actually just eat debris off the bottom of the ocean as well hmm they will avert their guts and, like, spit it at predators. Mm, I think I knew that. Yeah. I think I've heard that before. Yes. So they do that. <laughs> Sorry. This episode, I didn't do that much research. I was just like, I know enough about starfish, and I was going to ramble on, which obviously I've been doing. Well, it's, it's <laughs> half me, at least. So I'm going to end this with two facts. One is the sad fact. Because, you know, I have, like, some... I always have some conservation sad fact. Of course. The sad fact about starfish is there's starfish wasting disease. Or actually, sea star wasting disease, I'm sorry. So they get this virus, and then they pretty much dissolve in 48 hours. <gasps> what? I have not seen any pictures. As soon as you see, like, this little pale spot on them and then they just dissolve into this pile of goo oh gosh which is really bad it's really bad and they don't know really what why this is happening i just know about it because we are going to order a bunch of starfish to dissect and instead we could not because there were no starfish for us to order instead we had to substitute with sand dollars and sea urchins which are much much harder to dissect (laughs) like they have much harder shells and students are like very good at just destroying everything (sighs) so they they've been doing some studies on like what causes this so some people think it might be global warming and like just weird temperatures that are causing this Mm -hmm. but Ian Hewson um, is doing some studies out of Cornell, I think. And one of the hypotheses he has that they need to test is that it's from algal blooms. Hmm. So, like, if you have a lot of runoff from farms and stuff, you get these huge algae blooms. And then if it covers the starfish... Well, when a starfish is being attacked, one of its defense mechanisms is just to lose an arm. Right. Because it can regrow it. So it undergoes, like, programmed cell death 
which just means it tells its cells to die and then it loses an arm. But the problem is if it's covered, just covered in algae, then maybe the whole organism is undergoing programmed cell death. Mm. Yeah, this is just a hypothesis. I think it's interesting, but also like Definitely. really morbid. <laughs> so that is my sad fact. And then I was going to end with a happier fact. Oh, good. <laughs> so happier fact was about sand dollars. So they can clone themselves. Actually, a lot of iconoderms can clone themselves. So as larvae, they, they asexually reproduce, so they just bud off from themselves. I feel like I'm just using a bunch of jargony words. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So they make little copies of themselves that bud off from the original, and then it's just exactly the same as the original animal. Mm. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah, if you think of you have this little, little larva, and then it starts growing another larva off of it that's still connected, and then they separate, and then there's just two smaller larvae that are identical. Oh. That's what they do. Yeah, that's what they do. And so... They were studying these guys for a while. I don't know if they can all, if all the conoderms can do this, but most of them, I think. There's one class that can't. But they were wondering why they do this. They, like, nutrition, like, temperature makes them do this. But they came out with a study that actually predators can make them do this. Hmm. So they put fish mucus in with these um, sand dollar larvae. And... They started asexually dividing themselves as larvae, and they think it's because it's easier for fish to eat bigger larvae. So if you divide, oh, then you're smaller. That makes sense. It's like comes at a cost in that you're smaller, and you kind of have to start over after you divide. I thought that was really interesting. I don't quite understand it. Yeah. I like stuff when they don't know why it happens. I don't know if I like that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I like that there's still some mystery left to the universe. Oh, well, yes. Yeah, if there wasn't any mystery, I wouldn't have a job. So. (laughs) All right, so you agree. Yes, yeah. Well, it's, like, frustrating when you're looking up things and then they're like, I don't know. And you're like, ugh. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Tell me. Tell me now. It's like... I don't know, but it's the same kind of frustration as, like, you're waiting for the next book in a series to come out, or the next season of a TV show you really like. Yeah, except you could be waiting forever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I know, yes. It might be that you, the author is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come out with it. And you're like, are you? And you're like, yep. <laughs> And then they never update their blog again. <laughs> like, no idea. One last fact before you talk about whatever you're going to talk to. Yes. Talk about. So, you know, like those, I don't know what they call them. I just know in high school people are like, oh, these doves of peace or something. And they're like the little chunks that come out of a sand dollar when you break them. I've never, ever ever heard of that what okay i you've never had i've never broken a sand dollar 
okay, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I, like, was a kid, and... Why would you do that? I was a kid in my grandparents' bathroom, and they had him as decoration, and I wasn't careful, and I broke it. Oh. I don't know. I've, I've like, bought them as a kid. I don't think I'd buy them now. Oh, I'm Googling it. This is a real thing. Oh, I brought it up. Okay, maybe some of our listeners know what I'm talking about. It's the five doves. The five doves of peace. Five doves. They're, okay, cut to the chase. <laughs> they are moth parts. <laughs> They're the teeth, pretty much. They're the grinding mechanism for these animals. It's called Aristotle's lantern, because apparently Aristotle drew it, and then somebody came across his drawings, and then they named the moth parts Aristotle's lantern. Hmm. So yeah, there's five, because they're pentaradial mm-hmm. and symmetrical. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're just little chewing parts. <laughs> and so if the animal's alive, there'd be big muscles attached to them. There's not really much muscle going on with these things, but then you look inside and you're like, oh, there's some muscle. It's attached to that bony part that's right next to their mouth. (laughs) Wow, that's so interesting. Thank you. That's in sand dollars and sea urchins. Yeah, you know, it inspired me to look up what sand dollars look like when they're alive because I honestly didn't really know. Oh, they're so cute. They're all fuzzy. Yeah, they're pretty silly looking. <laughs> they just scooch around. <laughs> I know. They're like, I show my students those. I mean, I watch sped up videos. I think they're very slow. Yes. But they have these little um, flat spines they use to walk around. <laughs> yeah, they look fuzzy and they're pink and green and tan. You know the flower shape patterns on top of them? Mm-hmm. That's um where they breathe. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I think I've talked enough about conoderms. Okay. I probably I probably said something. Oh my gosh, it's been 40 minutes. <laughs> I thought I could Oh my god. What? Okay, I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. I just thought I was giving a real basic overview. I interrupted you like 30 times. It's totally fine. Don't even feel bad about it. Okay. Um, I didn't even talk about sea fans. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) go ahead. I'm done. Well, if you want, I I have a uh, really short one that I can whip out instead of the one I was going to do. I'm happy to do that. I am fine either way. Okay, I'll just do the shorter one, because it's hilarious. Okay. So, back in the 18th century, there was a racehorse, and he was said to be one of the greatest racehorses of that century. He's still respected to this day as an influential sire, responsible for, I guess, like, passing on his genes to a horse named Eclipse. This horse was famed for his endurance. He claimed 34 victories, okay, and many of those were at distances over four miles, which is a lot, and he raced for seven years. The best part about this horse is that his name was Potatoes. But... Potatoes? Potatoes. The story goes... Potatoes was bred by a Willoughby Birdie, who was the fourth Earl of Abington. This, a stable lad, 
as the story goes, misunderstanding the horse's name or potentially intentionally being a troll, broke down the word potatoes into pot plus eight O's. So written down, the horse's name was P-O-T O O O O O O O O O. I think that's eight. Because <laughs> it sounds like in British, potatoes, like potatoes, 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 potatoes. Is this whole story just a big pun? (laughs) (laughs) But so it gave the Earl great amusement. And so they actually kept it. And the horse ran under that name, Patu. (laughs) But then they eventually shortened it to literally P.O.T. the number eight OS. And this is a real story and it's hysterical to me you can like go to like pedigree sites for like racehorses and you can literally see pot (laughs) eight 1773 whose father was eclipse and whose mother was sports mistress (laughs) and it like goes back and back and back yeah well i mean Eclipse and Sports Mistress, I guess, are better names for race horses. I mean, judging by what they name them today, but... Yeah. Well, I guess it just goes to show that human nature does not change. I know, right? I mean, it seems like... It seems very chat-speak-esque. Oh, yeah, I know, right? So, wait, how did they shorten it? Pot and then the number eight? Yeah. And then O's. O-S. Yeah, it does. I don't know how I feel. Like, it gives you a different view of history. Yeah. We've always been funny, is what I'm getting. Yeah. Or just... Or we always have thought we are funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's certainly true. If you're interested, you can actually go see his skeleton in the National Horse Racing Museum in England in, I believe it's Newmarket. Um, He used to be buried near a tree in Hare Park, which was the farm where he'd been retired, and his body lay there undisturbed for about 200 years, but then a storm felled a tree and uprooted what's believed to be his remains. So actually, I guess we're not 1,000% sure that the skeleton is actually his skeleton, but there's a horse skeleton with the name Potatoes. Wouldn't you be able to tell if it was a fast horse or not by looking at the skeleton? Oh, that is such an interesting question. If he was that famous, don't you think they would be like, he's this many hands tall and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, you know what I mean? I think that that could be a good point, except for the fact that there's a lot of great racehorses and there's a... I mean, there's an entire museum that has, like, other horses in it. And, like, he wasn't, like, the most famous ever. I mean, he was famous, but I think he was, like, as much famous for his goodness as a racehorse as he was for his name. Well, okay, if he was the best of that time. I'm just saying, we have a lot of science at our fingertips. Yes. And there's a lot of money in horse racing. That's true. So, I don't know, some 
do some dating on some bone shards and see how old the skeleton is. I I thought you were going to say that we should DNA test the supposed descendants and see. Oh. That was my that was my chain of thought. Yes. <laughs> see so many things you could do. <laughs> so, yeah, if I'm paying money, is this museum free? Yeah. No, no. Okay, good. <laughs> this if I this if I'm paying money to see the skeleton, I want some of my donation or entry free, whatever they call it, to go to figuring out if the skeleton is really this horse. Oh my gosh. You're so funny. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You know, when you're right, you're right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm not really big into horse racing, so maybe horse racing fans don't care. And it's like the mystery and mystique that really gets them. For me, it's just the name. I don't even need the skeleton, but, like, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I just... Okay, I will be the voice of science in this podcast and say that try to defeat mystery and mystique and get to the bottom of it. <laughs> and then again, it is, like, just a horse skeleton. <laughs> potato. Potato. Listen, you know, let's, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say, you know, there's good points on both sides. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I don't think I really care either way. Is that all you got? Yeah, let's, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed Endless amounts of our cackling and derailing ourselves and each other. I take most of the responsibility for that because I like to interrupt you a lot and ask you about things that you didn't even talk about, like earthworms. Sorry. But, yeah, well, that's what happens when I just decide, let's talk about a whole phyla today. <laughs> a, phylum, a group of animals. Asteroids. <laughs> yes. Let's just talk about all of them today. So... Thank you for listening. Thank you for making it this far. We hope that you enjoy. We hope that you share this podcast with your family and friends. It's a what's that called? Like it's a it's a it's like a what I want to say like a love project, but that's not what I mean. Like we put a lot of time into it. What is that called? Labor of love. Yeah, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. What we do here at Fauna Facts Podcast. Yes. And uh, we hope you enjoy. Please rate, review, subscribe. Instagram for pics at Fonifax Podcast or the blogger at fonifaxpodcast.blogspot.com. Those are for visuals. And uh, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.